Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Morning, y'all. How's everybody doing this morning? Was that some fire? Isn't that worship? Oh, my goodness. You know, some... Sometimes you have those days where you just got to run around a little bit, you know what I mean? And this is one of those days, you know what I'm saying? Thank you, worship team. Uh, I, don't, I don't say it enough, that they lead us into the presence of God. And just what a blessing, what a blessing that is. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited this morning because I really feel like um, in the midst of this week, as I spent time preparing, that God gave me a word. He gave me a word for you guys. And um, this series, uh, who, who all has been here? Come on. Hands up. Hopefully you've made parts or all of this series. It's been amazing. Tim's done an incredible job of kind of leading us into this mindset of living this non-anxious, worry-free life. Why did we do this series? Because in Matthew 6, if you'll remember the scripture, if the birds of the air don't have to sow or reap and stow away in barns, then why should you worry? Because are you not more valuable than the birds? And so we've been looking into this idea, and we've learned a lot. We learned that there's a relationship between comfort and growth. And if we'll let go of the idea of comfort, we actually step into the ability to grow. You guys remember that? We learned that when we know who we are and whose we are, we live in God's rest. I remember Tim saying, hey, birds don't swim in the ocean, and fish don't fly into the sky. And if you know who you are, that's half the battle. We learned how to cast our cares upon the Lord. You remember the triangle diagram that Tim had. Believe God cares. Humble ourselves and cast our anxieties upon him. And we learned that to be a person of peace, we need to lean into what is good in our lives. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay, this morning, I want to pose a question to us to wrap up this series. In the struggle with worry, anxiety, control, really a lack of peace overall, is it possible that we're looking at peace the wrong way, the acquisition of peace the wrong way, because we tend to think sometimes that peace is the absence or the getting rid of the problems, struggle, busyness in our life, but maybe true peace is not the absence of things in your life, but the presence of someone in your life. This morning, I want to start in Philippians 4. Four. It says this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but every, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love in this passage how it refers to the guarding of, protecting of, the presence of 
the peace of God that shields our hearts and our minds. Is there anyone in here that might welcome a guarding or a shielding from the problems and the struggles and the worries of life? I want to share with you guys this morning a few different stories. And I hope in the midst of it that you kind of see the thread that runs through all of them. And I want to begin this morning in, if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Joshua, the book of Joshua, way at the front end of the Old Testament, and in Joshua chapter 1. And before we get into it, I, I want to give you just a little background of where we, at, where we are at in the story that's happening. Okay, this is the story of uh, Moses and the Israelites, and They've been in captivity for 400 years. You remember they were made slaves by the Egyptians because they were growing in number. Uh, they were getting a little too big, and they were afraid that either they would overpower them or they would leave. And so the Egyptians made them slaves. And Moses is born into all of that, into Pharaoh's household. And God speaks to Moses and makes a promise to him about his people, about leading them to a promised land, leading them to a place of freedom. And as the God of heaven shows favor to Moses, he uses him in ways that really hadn't been seen and really a lot of people say weren't really seen after. Moses is one of the few that actually stood in the presence of God and didn't die. God's power in the midst of that story of taking the Israelites out of Egypt was moved in so many ways. In so many ways, he moved through them. And in Joshua 1, verse 1, it says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. A couple chapters before in Deuteronomy, we find that Joshua is poised to be the next leader. And I just tend to wonder what was going through his mind at this time. I mean, we're talking about Moses, right? Moses that did all of these miracles that Joshua has seen. At this moment in time, Moses was about 120 years old when he died. And Joshua is about and somewhere between 69 and 79. Young at that age, I guess. <laughs> and... He's followed Moses. He's seen the things that have happened over the last 39 years as they've been in the wilderness trying to get to the promised land. Moses, this man of God. You remember it was Moses, it was at Moses' command that Aaron threw his staff on the ground, right? Turned it into a snake. It was Moses who put his hand into his Sure, it brought it out, and it was leprous, and then put it back in, and it was healed completely. It was Moses who had the courage to tell Pharaoh to let his people go, and then it was Moses who told him of the plagues that would come against them. It was Moses that called out for the plagues, and the plagues came, and it was Moses who stopped. It was Moses who parted the Red Sea and allowed his people to walk on dry land, and then it was Moses who put his staff down, and the sea swallowed up the Egyptians. It was Moses who brought manna and who brought water from the rock. And it was Moses who had been leading them this whole way into the promised land. Now, we all know 
It wasn't Moses, right? It was God. But I want you to put yourself in the place of Joshua, where he has seen Moses do all these things. The Israelites have seen Moses do all these things. And then at the end of Deuteronomy, right before we start this passage of Scripture, Moses goes up on a mountain, and he doesn't come back. And now the Lord is speaking to Moses. Moses is dead. In the Israelites' eyes, Moses was their connection to God Almighty. It says there were 30 days that they mourned right there at the end of Deuteronomy. Can you imagine all of the questions that are going through their heads? Who's going to lead us? How are we going to get there? We've come this far. We are literally coming right up to the Jordan. What are we going to do without Moses? Can you imagine Joshua? This would be like being that person who comes in right after Michael Jordan retires, and you got to step onto the floor in that spot, right? And now the stands are half empty because Jordan's gone. Joshua has to have a million questions. How am I going to lead them? What if I don't know the way to go? What if our enemies overtake us? Who inhabits the land? We don't even know. It's been so long since they've been there, they have no idea what they're going to come across. Is God going to speak to me the way he did Moses? What if I can't fill his gigantic shoes? I thought we were going to go to the land of milk and honey. What if it ends up being Sambuca and curry? <laughs> Which are two things that I really hate. <laughs> Sorry, David. Listen, a lot's going on, particularly in Joshua's world this time. Being a leader, getting ready to lead 600,000 to a million Israelites into the promised land. And now he's the one. And there's so many questions. But isn't that us? Isn't that us in life? I mean, do, do the problems of life, do the worries of life, do they ever stop? I started to think back of just in the past 20 years of, you know, kind of my road of where I've led. And at each point, there was something to worry about. You know what I'm saying? In, in, at year 2000, I was still single. I'm thinking, am I ever going to get married? I found out that I, I have this liver disease. On top of that, I'm like, man, I've got a liver disease and I'm never going to get married. And then I start dating this girl and is she going to like me? You know, of course, she likes me and we get married. And then I'm worried, and then I'm worried, are we going to be able to have kids? Because doctors keep telling me because of this liver disease that I have that we may not be able to have kids. And literally four months after we got married, on Easter Sunday, we find out, hey, we're going to have kids, you know? And then after that, it, is it, am I going to die? Is this liver disease literally going to take me away from my three-year-old and my one-year-old, right? And then I have a liver transplant. It happens right at the very last moment. And then I'm worried about my kids. Where are they going to go to school? What are we going to do? We, we, we need to move. I'm actually getting a second chance at life. And then we decide to come to Oklahoma. And we end up at People's Church, which is, which is a predominantly black church here in town. And I'm thinking to myself, when I walk in and I'm the minority, I'm thinking... Are these people going to like me? 
And then I'm there for three and a half years. It was an incredible three and a half years. But I feel God telling me, it's time to go. But I have no idea where I'm going to go. Where, where are you leading, Lord? I feel that it's time. All of these things lead me to this place. But every step along the way in our life, right, there are things that come up. There are worries that come up. Back to Joshua. So we go to Joshua 1. And it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And here's what I want you to hear. God says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As I was, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. As I was, so I will be with you. In one moment, all of the fear, all of the worry, all of the questions begin to dissipate because presence is everything. As I was, so I will be with you. In a moment, Joshua understands why Moses was able to do all that he did. It wasn't the power of Moses. Presence is everything. As I was, so I will be with you. Moses was just a man. Joshua is just a man. But when the presence of the living God is on a man? Let me hear you say presence. presence. Don't you know that presence is everything? As a child, when you had a dream and your mom and dad would come into the room, maybe it was a grandma, grandpa, it was a family member, they sit at the side of your bed and they start to rub your back and say, it's okay, it's okay, it's just a dream. Don't you know that presence is everything? When you've had the worst day ever and a best friend or your mom or your dad shows up to be there with you, how many of you know that presence is everything? As a man, when you stand at the altar waiting, hoping that they're going to be there soon, and your wife comes around that corner, which I remember oh so distinctly. Presence is everything. In 2020, for the first time that I can remember, and I think in the history of the Olympics, athletes had to compete in empty arenas with no fans, no fanfare, no cheering, no booing, no applause. 
When they won the gold medal, the national anthem would echo in the stadiums and reverberate through the venues. And this had a major effect on some of the greatest athletes in the world. Because there's something, there's something that happens when an athlete hears the roar of the crowd, senses their presence. And there's also something that happens when that's not there as well. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of social facilitation theory. It's this idea, it refers that people show an increased level of dopamine and effort as a result of the presence of others. The concept was actually identified by Norman Triplett in 1898 when he found that a cyclist's performance actually bettered when there was somebody else that he was training with. There are two types of social facilitation. One is called the coaction effects, and the other one is the audience effect. Coaction effect is what I just ex- described. Anytime you train with somebody else, it does something in you to make you try just a little bit harder. The audience effect is this idea of what happens when a person gets in front of a large crowd that is screaming, that is cheering you on, and For some people, they crush under that. But for some of the greatest athletes in the world, they actually thrive on it. Simone Biles, our reigning Olympic champion in the all-around, she struggled emotionally. She was used to having the presence of fans, and when there was no one there, she couldn't take it. And she ended up dropping out of the all-around competition because it wore on her emotionally. The reigning gold medal winner. And this is a story that rings in the experience of many of the 2020 athletes. Why? Because presence is everything. I want to tell you another story. Okay, and this one, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can open up to 2 Kings 6. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to share it with you. This is the story of Elisha. He's a prophet of God, and God is with him greatly. And in 2 Kings, it tells this story of the Israelites and Syria are at war. And King of Aram, this king keeps moving his army into position to take care of the Israelites, to conquer them. But every time he does, they move. So he gets all of his generals together, and he's like, hey, who is telling them where we're setting up, where we're camping? Because every time we move, they, they move right along away from us. And all the generals are like, listen, nobody is telling anybody anything. But there is this prophet Elisha that they have, who's a man of God, and he seems to know every time we make a move. So the king of Aram says, well, let's hunt Elisha down. So he sends out a party to find him, and they find him in the city, and he sends part of his army, and they surround the city. That next morning, a servant of Elisha wakes up, grabs his cup of coffee, gets his nice morning stretch, and heads outside of the tent to watch the sunrise. And what does he see? He sees 
an army that has surrounded the city. And they're there for Elisha and probably him. So he walks back into the tent and he tells Elisha, Elisha, there's an army outside and they're waiting for us. And very calmly, Elisha says these words, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. And the servant of God, or the servant of Elisha, walks out. And now he sees an army of angels surrounding the army that is surrounding them. Don't you know that presence is everything? There's a reason why Elisha is not worried, right? Elisha actually says another prayer to God, and he blinds the entire Syrian army. And they, there's the rest of the story, and you can read it later, but they actually bring them away to Samaria, right, where the Israelites are, and they capture them. And then they end up sending them back to their king. And it says at the end of that chapter, and they fought with the Israelites no more. (laughs) Presence is everything. There's a gift that Elisha has. And a faith that he represents, and that's the difference sometimes between where we are and where we want to be as it comes to living a life of peace that is better than the birds, right? The army was there, but Elisha's servant couldn't see it. If we truly want to carry with us every single day the peace that passes all understanding recognizing that we have this guarding of our heart and mind by our Heavenly Father, what we need more than anything else is to recognize. Recognize the presence of the one who holds peace in the palm of his hand. The one who carries your burdens. The one who said, as I was, so I will be with you. You see, unlike the Old Testament, where the presence of God moved through Moses and then Joshua or was on Elisha or resided in the Ark of the Covenant or went in the cloud before them and hemmed in behind them, when Jesus came, that all changed. There was a new covenant. He came as the fullness of God and went to the cross to defeat sin now and forevermore. But before he ascended to the right hand of God, He gathers his his disciples and he says, hey, I must go. But before I do, in John 14, 26, he says, I will send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. For peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. Do you understand what this means? If you proclaim Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the promised Holy Spirit has come into your heart, has come into your life, and makes residence inside of you. And he is peace. You have the living God. 
the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the ancient of days, the consuming fire, the father of heavenly lights, the great I am, the one that for all, for all creation has defeated sin and death. Amen. And the one who is peace, and he's living inside of you. Come on. But there's a problem. Amidst the busyness and the noise, the problems and the struggles of life, amidst all of the things that steal our attention in this life, we forget about this presence of peace and this power that lives within us, even as believers. And his presence in us is something that is either fostered and it grows or neglected. And then when we absolutely need it, it's faint and can feel like it's harder to find. Let me show you what I mean. So we all have, as I mentioned, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he's in us and he's with us and he never leaves us, right? And so a lot of times in life when the things of this world come upon us, when the things of this world move into our lives, we try to take them on ourselves. And there's a chaos that can happen. And when that chaos happens, <laughs> we have nothing to guard against our hearts, right? We've, we've got this, but we're not relying on the presence of God to protect us. So, differently, <laughs> differently, when we recognize the presence of God in our life. When we lean in to the, his presence in our life. When we call upon him. And we've got something that is guarding our heart and protecting us. The, the struggles, they're all exactly the same, right? There's nothing that's changed other than now I've asked, Lord, come on, be with me today. Be, be with me as I walk, which is exactly what he does. He walks with us side by side, hand by hand. And then when the worries come again, <laughs> we're protected. And there's peace. And this is the peace that we're talking about. But family, you know and I know that a lot of times we forget. A lot of times, God is right there in the midst of it all. But we choose to not recognize him and call upon his power. Yeah. I went through a season where I found out I had had this. Do I still have stuff on? Went through this season where I, I mentioned I'd had this liver transplant. I had a disease called PSC. And it was a hard season. It was stretched over eight years, came down right to the end. But right at the very end, before I got ready to die, I was given a liver. And it was unbelievable. It was night and day. I went 
to bed, or I went to, before I went into surgery, I was as yellow as could be. My eyes were yellow. Um, I had lost 50 pounds. I was the scale of who I was, am now. And when I woke up after surgery, my eyes were white. My skin had changed color literally in hours. And I, I thought, it's over. You know, the, kind of the difficulty of these last couple years were over. And so I started healing, and I started getting better. And about three months afterwards, I got really sick one day. I was actually at a concert, at a worship concert. And I had to leave. I could tell there was something wrong with my stomach. And Angie was actually in Oklahoma. And I start driving home, and I had, not to be gross, but I had to step outside the car, and I started throwing up blood. And I'm thinking, what in the world is happening? Well, it turns out that I had an embolism on the arteries that they attached my liver to. So they go in to do this surgery. Six months. This has been six months after my transplant. And in the midst of doing it, they clotted off one of my arteries, one of the main arteries to my liver. And I remember in recovery, I'm laying, you have to lay flat for like six hours after the surgery, and I'm laying there, and my doctor comes in, and he says, I think we may have to retransplant you because they clotted off this artery. And of all the time in those years of dealing with this disease that I had, I don't think I ever had a low like that moment. And he left, and I laid there, and Ange was in the room. And then a friend, who's actually my pastor, he came in the room, he didn't say anything, and he goes over, sets his guitar down, pulls out his guitar, and he just starts playing worship music. How many of you know that presence is everything? At that moment, God's spirit moved in the room. And I was able to see past the darkness of where I was. And I could move on. Because his presence guarded my heart and my mind. And I'll never forget that moment. Because yes, I mean, it was incredibly kind of Steve to come and play the guitar. But he was just an entrance into God's presence for me. Amen. Right? I wasn't going to tell that story originally, so I'm going to have to skip ahead here. <laughs> Guys, presence is everything. God's presence in your life is everything. And to, to close this morning, and Darcy, if you want to go ahead and make your way up, I just want to share a few things with you. I laid in bed last night. I'd written this message. I'd written an ending. I'd actually written two throughout the week. And I heard God say, no, I have something different. And this morning, as, as I'm prepping, two hours before service, 
And I hear him say, just share your heart. And there's just a couple things that I want to, I want to challenge you with. Um, number one, where's your belief? Where's your belief in our God? Maybe you're brand new to the church. Maybe this is your first time stepping inside of a church, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. But where's your belief in this God that we serve? Because the God I serve showed up in that room, and his presence was everything. The God I serve is always there to protect our hearts. Sometimes even when I don't recognize him. Where's your belief that you can walk outside that tent and know that that angel army is there for you? Where's your belief that God walks with you side by side every single day and all he wants is that relationship with you all he wants is for you to say Jesus he wants to be your savior you are his child he cares about you more than anything in the world I can imagine maybe some of you are thinking, well, it's hard, you know? I mean, I come to church on Sundays. I might go to a small group during the week. But once daily life starts, it's hard to recognize God all the time. I can't just walk around all the time, Lord, okay, Lord, you know, in the midst of work. You can't just constantly do that, right? How can we recognize God in the midst of our walk with him? I just want to throw out a challenge to you today, this week. Wherever you're at on your journey, maybe you're recognizing him all day long. Maybe you're asking for his presence to lead you all day long. But if you're not, I just want to encourage you to call out his name. You're going up the elevator or the escalator. Just call out his name. Jesus. Father, thank you. You're sitting in your car and it's been a really long day. Maybe it's just Holy Spirit, come. Just recognize that he might be sitting in the seat with you, right? Just call out his name. This last month, I have been kind of on a journey seeking God's presence more. And we, we started this study uh, on Wednesday nights. It's just a small group that's here at the church. And about a month ago, in the book that we're doing, uh, I started reading about silence and solitude. And I realized something, that the noise in my life, the things that are always around you, that are always going, I was about a 10. And even though I don't have the craziest busy life, 
every time I got to a place where I might spend some time with God or silence, there's a football game on or, you know, there's a podcast I want to listen to or there's music I'm listening to or I'm watching TV. There's so many different things that we do and a lot of times it just becomes noise in our life. So I decided to start inputting these moments of silence where I just go outside a few mornings. It's actually been sitting on our front porch watching the sunrise. And what I noticed is the first two weeks, I had a hard time slowing my mind down. It, it was hard to hear God's voice. It was actually even hard to just feel silent because that's the way my mind always is. I feel like it's always racing. It's always going, right? I have a hard time sleeping because I feel like I wake up in the middle of the night and it's just going and it's going. And then I get to about week two and all of a sudden things are starting to get quieter. And I started to recognize God's presence in the midst of it. I think we all have the opportunity in different ways in our life to recognize God's presence. And I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it's calling out his name. Maybe it's getting back into the word and reading some of these miracles that really happened and elevating your level of belief in your life of a God that loves you dearly and who is right there with you. Maybe it's just getting into silence and asking for his presence to come. pray for you. And as we go into worship here in a moment, I want you to think about what's that step that you need to take to have that peace of God that guards your heart and your mind amidst all of the chaos that's happening around us so that you could have that protection above you all the time. Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, as worship played this morning, I'm amazed at your words. I'm amazed, Heavenly Father, at all that you are. And I'm amazed at your presence and how easily in worship that we can sense you. Father, when we step outside these doors and when the worries and the struggles of life tend to come on us, Lord, sometimes that's when we forget. That's when we forget how much you love us. There's no shadow you won't light up. No mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me. There's no wall you won't down, no lie, you won't tear down, coming after me. If we have a love of a God that loves us that much, maybe what we need is to step into that, to lean into that. And then, all of a sudden, life 
of a non-anxious presence, worry-free, and living a life that is better than the birds. Because we have a Father who loves us that much. And we love Him. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your grace. Be with us. Teach us, Lord. Be and your presence be real to us in everything we do. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.